What amazing words. Fear, you do not own me. You have no part in this story. I am strong. I am brave. I have an identity. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you that we have this opportunity to come together to learn from you, to grow in you. God, we thank you that you um, have not given us a spirit of peer, but of love, of power, and of self-control. Lord, we ask that as we spend this time together that your spirit would be here. God, open our hearts and our minds to what we need to hear from you today. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our, all of our hearts be holy and pleasing unto you. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen. We all, at some point, face giants. Every single one of us will come up against a giant that we have to face down. I'm pretty certain that most of us this week, on Thursday particularly, faced a very common giant, the giant turkey. I'm pretty sure that the turkey at the Thanksgiving celebration I was at was about that size. And if you didn't have a turkey that was that size, it wasn't giant turkey, then giant was possibly the size of your belly by the time you pushed away from the table. I'm sure I'm not alone in that one. But we all face giants. Every, every day, every week, we face giants. And giants come in all shapes and sizes. Sometimes our giant is that diagnosis that we get from that doctor, like within Kristen's story. Sometimes giants show up in our relationships. They can be in our friendships, in our marriages, in our parenting. Sometimes we face giants in our workplace. This year I took on a new giant. I decided to go back to school, so I'm almost finished my first semester of PhD studies. Um, as I learn more about theology, and I, let me tell you, that stack of books that I have to get through, is, is, it's a giant. And giants can be something that start out as exciting and that are inviting us into something new, but they can become overwhelming. Big or small, whatever shape or size they come in, the one thing that giants have in common is their, their, the, the, the way they can make us feel like they can overwhelm us. Giants can make us feel like we don't have the power to stand up, that we don't have the power to lift. We all face giants. And as we jump into today's story, the final one in our Amazing Stories series, we are going to get a roadmap for facing giants. And one of the things that we're going to learn is that when facing giants, beware of their lies. When facing giants, beware of their lives. Before we jump in exactly, I want to give you a little bit of a backstory. About 500 years before our story takes place, there was a senior citizen by the name of Abraham. And he didn't have any kids. And God came to him and said, I am going to make you the father of a great nation. And then through your descendants, you are going to bless all the peoples of the earth. And then he took Abraham out onto this cliff and he, looked, he pointed at all the stars and he said, look at all the stars. So will your descendants be. And then he said, look out in front of you and look at the land. What you see will be the land that I will give you. But first, your descendants are going to spend some time in captivity. But when the time is right, I will deliver them and I will give this land to them. About two to three years before our story takes place, the sons and daughters of Abraham, the Israelites, are in Egypt, and they are in slavery. And they are crying out to God for help. 
And so God sends Moses, and through a series of ten plagues, God brings the disciples, no, not the disciples, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And when they get, to the, when they get out of Egypt and they see the Red Sea in front of them, and they've got the, 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 the soldiers from Egypt coming behind them, God parts the Red Sea so that they can walk across in dry land. And when they get onto the other side, when they're in the desert, God gives them manna and he gives them quail so that they are able to eat and they are nourished. And little by little and baby step by baby step, God gives them opportunities to build their faith and to build their trust in him. When entering the land of giants, beware of their lives. So now today in our story... God has spoken to Moses, and he says, I want you to choose 12 men, each one of them a leader from their own tribe, because there are 12 tribes of Israel. And so Moses, being the faithful leader that he was, he goes out and he says, I'll take you, and I'll take you, I'll take you. He took 12 of the great leaders from the 12 tribes, and he assembled them. And he said, I have a job for you. The Lord has spoken the time that God spoke about to Abraham is now here, and I'm sending you in to the promised land. I want you to go into the Negev and up into the hill country, and I want you to do a reconnaissance mission. I want you to check out the land. Is it fruitful? Are there trees? Can we use them to build homes and, and to sell to, to as timber so we can gain money for our, our land? Check out the resources. Check out the abundant life that God has set in for, in for us in our future in this promised land. But the land is not empty, so check out the people. What are their cities like? Are they walled and fortified, or are there no walls? Are the people themselves, are they strong, or are they weak? Are they many, or are they few? Go check out the land that God has for us. Because by God's grace, he is going to give us this land, but there is still work for us to do. And so he sends the Israelites into, the Israelite spies, into the promised land. And as they're directed, they go in, they go into the Negev and up into the hill country. And I would, we have a map here for you that's going to pop up. And you can see their journey. They start down in the bottom corner in the, uh, the, the desert of uh, Paran, and they go all the way up to the top. And that's about 250 miles in one direction. So it's a 500-mile journey both ways. And this is how they describe that journey. So they went up and they explored the land from the desert of Zin, or Paran, as far as Rehob, toward Labo Hamath. And then they went into the Negev, and when they came to Hebron, uh, where Iman, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zon in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eskol because of the cluster of grapes that the Israelites had cut off there. And at the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. Now I want you to notice something. Look how many cities are listed on that map. There's a bunch. But they talk about one. Here's what we know from the story. We know that right beside that city is where, you may not be able to read it, but right beside Rehoboth and it's, or uh, Hebron, and it's right at the bottom, is where the Valley of Eskol was. So that's where the big fruit is. This, this grape cluster was about the size of me. The other thing we know is that there's three, three guys that live in this city. And a little bit later in the story, we're going to find out that they 
are huge. These guys are gigantic. But the story doesn't tell you, but what the Israelite spies would have known, they would have known this, is that Hebron was also the resting place of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah. The man who God had promised to make his, his descendants a great nation laid there. And so when they entered into that city, the resting place of Abraham and the abundance of this fruit should have given them confidence that God was going to do this, that the time was now. So they get back after 40 days of exploring, and Moses and Aaron call all the community together. All of Israel is together to listen to the report of the spies. This was not a secret mission. Everyone knew where they were going and why. And I imagine as they're standing there and they're waiting to hear the report, there's this nervous expectation and excitement because they all know that God had brought them through the wilderness for this time, and now it's time to go into the promised land, and they're going to get to finally shake some of the the dust off their feet and, and build houses and stop living in tents, and they're going to be a real people, and they're excited. And so the, the, the Israelite spies get up, and they begin to give their report. And they said, We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. This is an image of abundance. And here is its fruit. Can you imagine the whispers and the excitement? Look at what God is providing. Look how big the grapes are. We're going to eat. No more manna, no more quail. We can eat fruit. This would have been exciting. But, and it's a big but, the people who live there are powerful. And their their cities are fortified and very large. And we saw the descendants of Anak there. And the Amalekites live in the Negev. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live on the Jordan and by the sea. You can hear, even just reading it, you can hear the anxiety level going up of the Israelites' spies as they talk about their journey. And as they got more and more concerned about what they're sharing, the mood in the crowd changed. And it went from one of hopefulness to, oh my goodness, what are we about to do? There's giants there. And any murmurs of excitement, or can you believe what God's going to give us, came to, oh my goodness, what are we walking into? And everyone was talking and complaining, probably. And then Caleb stands up and he says, silence, and he silences the community. And he says, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. He saw the exact same thing that the Israelites, other Israelite spies had seen. He knew their situation, and he knew the situation of what he saw, but he took a longer look. He looked back to how God had provided for them in the desert. He looked back to God, how God had helped them cross the Red Sea and kept them safe from the Israelite armies. He looked back to how they were delivered out of Egypt and how God heard their, their cries. He looked back to the promise of Abraham and said, if God can say that to Abraham and God can do what he's done in our own lives, then he is able to do what he is calling us to. We need to go and take this land because, yes, while we might be weak, God is strong and he can carry us through this. But his words fell on deaf ears because 
The other Israelites who had gone were so scared by what they saw. They said, we can't attack these people. They're stronger than us. And they deliberately spread a bad report amongst all of the Israelites. And so suddenly the fruit that started out as big and a sign of God's, of God's faithfulness and the abundance that they're about to have, they said the land we explore devours the people who live in it. And all the people we saw there are of a great size. We even saw the Nephilim. Now, Nephilim are when the sons of God came down and they had fun with the daughters of, of man and these, other, these, these gigantic giant children came out. These are these semi-divine or powerful beings. We can't, we can't do this. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And you know what? When they looked at us, they saw us as grasshoppers too. They got distracted from what they already knew. They forgot what they already knew. They believed the lie that they were not smart enough. Like, we, we haven't been running military drills. We're a nomadic people living in tents. We don't, we're not smart enough to go up into those cities and take over and defeat them. We're not smart enough. And an attack on the mind. They believed the lie that we are not strong enough. There's more of them. They have a defensible position. They have better, they've got better weapons than us. We're not strong enough to do this. They believe the lie that we're stranded. We are by ourselves. There is no backup. There is no plan B. It is all us. We are stranded all alone, and there is no one coming to our aid. We are on our own. This is the lie of isolation. And finally, they believed the lie that they're not special. We're going up against giants and Nephilim, and who are we? We're nothing. We're nomads in the desert. And those lies took root in their hearts. And that night, the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this just so we can die to the sword? Our wives and our children are going to be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And then they said to each other, we should choose a leader and we should go back. This is the heartbreaking moment of this story. They were so consumed by the lies. They were so consumed by them that they were willing to give up the promise of the life abundant in the promised land in order to take hold of a counterfeit life. Suddenly, because of the lies that were in front of them, slavery in Egypt looked good. We should do that. Let's go back and do that again. They were scared. They were so scared by the giants that slavery looked better than God's promised land and the effort that it was going to take to get there. And when they said this, Abraham and Aaron fell on their faces in grief because they saw the hope of a nation die. They realized that they had, their nation was so distracted by the lies that they forgot what they already knew. And when that happened, the lives gave birth to fear. 
and fear took hold of them, and it gave them tunnel vision. All they could see were the giants that were right in front of them, and those giants took on bigger and bigger proportions as they focused on them. And when that happened, they lost confidence, they became weak, and they gave up, gave up and it broke Moses and Aaron's heart. And Caleb and Joshua, two of the spies that had gone into the promised land um, with the others, stood up and they said, no, the land we saw that we passed through was ex- exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land, because he will devour, we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Fear does not own us. We are strong because of who is leading us. But that's this moment in this story reverberates through all of history as being one of the most heartbreaking moments. Because an entire nation chose to believe the lies. They chose to live in their fear and they gave up and hope died. And they condemned themselves. They condemned themselves to wandering in that wilderness. But for Caleb and Joshua who remained faithful, and anyone who maybe did not believe those lies, they would, Caleb and Joshua led God's people into the promised land in the next generation. And I think it's significant that Caleb was the friend of the, the tribe of Ephraim who made up the northern kingdom of Israel. And Caleb was from the, the tribe of Judah who resided in the southern kingdom. And those are the two tribes that stayed faithful to God. It is their story that we read in the rest of scripture. When we are faithful to God as we encounter our giants, as we move forward and we go forward in faith and say, no, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. God rewards that faithfulness by giving us the strength to move forward, by giving us the ability to stand up against the giants, by giving us the ability to identify the lies that they're speaking to us so that we can claim the truth and know the truth and allow that to direct our paths. When entering the land of giants, beware of their lies because they will try to poison you. And sometimes it can be easy to read a story like this and say, well, but they had all of those signs. They saw the Red Sea. They saw the the, the manna from heaven and they missed it. If they missed it, how how am I going to do any better? I don't have any ironclad promise that if I'm faithful to God, then he is going to make this giant that's right in front of me right now be defeated. For every story like Kristen's, which is amazing, of someone who is incredibly faithful and joyful and focused on God throughout their struggle with cancer, there's another story of someone who is equally faithful who did not win that story. Relationships break up. We, we end up... Um, we lose the job, or whatever the case may be, and it can seem like our giants are bigger than, where, than God is. Our giants can feel like they're insurmountable. It can feel like, God, where are you when I'm hurting? Why have you left me alone out here in this desert to wander by myself? I've been there. I've walked that story. When I was in college, I had an eating disorder. 
I believed the lies that I was not good enough, that I was not beautiful enough, that I was not um, intentional enough, that I was not disciplined enough, that I was fat, and what was plain for everyone else to see on me as my body wasted away, I was, was blocked from my own eyes. One of the things that people who struggle with eating disorders will tell you, particularly when they've come through the other side, is like the eating disorder almost becomes this person sitting on your shoulder whispering these lies that seem more real than the truth. And the hardest part about that journey was I was sitting there and I knew that what I was doing probably wasn't the most healthy and it really wasn't good for me. But it was more comfortable than the promise of a healthy life. And so I was willing to give up the promise of a healthy life in order to live this counterfeit lie because it was easier and I was scared of what it was going to take to get me out of that, that desert. And then a number of things happened and I realized one day and I was sitting in a coffee shop by the name of Tim Hortons, which I'm Canadian. It's like Dunkin' Donuts, but it's, it's better. And we're sitting in a circle, and we have a box of Timbits, which are kind of like munchkins, but better. And every single one of my friends is laughing and joking and having a great time. And I'm like, I have no joy left in my life. I can't enjoy this moment because I am so overwhelmed by a single Timbit that I cannot be present. I can't live. I am not living my life. I am existing in this moment. And a friend of mine challenged me, and she said, you need to choose joy. When the lies are screaming in your ears, you need to remember what you already know, and you need to choose joy. And I went and I saw a therapist, and I got a group of people around me, and little by little by little, I pulled myself, God pulled me out of that desert and redeemed me, and I came to, was able to come to a healthy life. Every single one of us is going to encounter giants. And sometimes they are going to feel so much bigger than anything that we can deal with on our own. And no, we don't have the promise that the Israelites did, that we, we take two steps forward into the promised land, that God is going to defeat that giant right in front of us. But we have bigger promises, and we have better promises. In John chapter 16, Jesus said to his disciples shortly before he would go on to be crucified and then rise again, he said, I have told you these things so that you, in me you have, may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. You will face giants. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Do you know that there are 365 verses in the Bible that say do not fear or take heart or have courage? I think God knew that we were going to have a problem with fear. There are 365 verses, one for every day, to tell us not to be fearful. Because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. In Hebrews chapter 4, the writer says this, Therefore we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. 
So then let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive the mercy and find grace to help us in our hour of need, in our time of need when we are facing giants. Where is God when it hurts? Where is God when we're facing our giants? He is right there alongside us. He has faced everything that we will face. He knows the burdens we're under. He knows the pain we are walking through. We are not alone when we face our giants. We have a great high priest. We serve a risen Lord who understands what we are going through and is walking through it with us. And my favorite, my absolute favorite promise from Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's pe- dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. To those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. When entering the land of giants, beware of the lies, for they will poison you. We have so much to look forward to. There is coming a time, and it has already been accomplished, when every giant we will face will be defeated, and there will be no more pain, no more crying, no more cancer, no more broken relationships, no more... um, No more issues with shame or self-worth. There is coming a time when that is going to end and when we'll know what it means to be fully human and live in God's presence. And so, yes, in this world we will have trouble. We will face giants. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. When facing giants, remember who you are. Remember who you are. You are a member of a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's chosen people, his special possession. You are his sons and daughters, and you are brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ himself. You are family. You are known by God. You are righteous. You are holy. You are worthy. You are beloved. You are chosen. You are forgiven. You are his friend. You are transformed. You are a new creation. You are redeemed. You are empowered, you are gifted, you are equipped. You are victorious because of he who is in you. Carry this in your heart. Remember what you already know every time you face giants because that is your identity. That is who you are. So when facing giants, beware of their lies. Capture them. And find truth to fight against them. When I, was, when I was recovering from my eating disorder, I would write down the lies that were playing in my head and I would find scripture verses to speak back to them. Beware of the lies. Remember what you already know. The giants are going to try and distract you. Remember what you already know. Spend time in scripture getting to know God. Spend time in prayer getting to know God. Make it physical. I love Kristen's box. I love that she writes down things to remind her what she already knows so when things are tough, she can go back and she can look at them. 
I had a friend who would buy a piece of jewelry when God did something significant so that she could remember what God had done in her life and remember that promise and remember his faithfulness when she was having a rough day. Make it physical. Remember what you already know. Practice the posture of thanksgiving. The Israelites grumbled every step of the way. They grumbled in Egypt, although I can't say I blame them for that one. They got to the Red Sea, and they grumbled. They got into the desert, and they grumbled. Moses disappeared up a mountain for too long so he could talk to God, and then they grumbled, and they grumbled, and they grumbled, and they grumbled, to the point when they got to see real giants, and they didn't have the foundation they needed to stand against them. Practice a posture of thanksgiving. And finally, choose your travel companions wisely. We were not made to do this thing called life alone. We need people to come and stand alongside us. We need those people we can call up and say, there are giants right now. I need you. So we can come alongside and we can support each other and we can pray for each other and we can carry each other when we can no longer carry ourselves. And then those same people are there to celebrate with us when we defeat those giants. I can't tell you enough how important my small group has been in this journey. They are like family to me. They are my brothers and sisters, and I know that if I need anything, they are a phone call or a text message or an email away, and we, we, we support each other. Small groups are so integral to this. So if you're not in one, I highly encourage you to, to reach out and to, to join a small group. You can do that at the Welcome Center. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. Jesus has overcome each and every one of your giants. When facing giants, remember who you are and remember what you already know. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that you are bigger and stronger and mightier than any giant that can come across our paths. We thank you that you are with us and that you do not leave us to face these giants on our own. Instead, you are with us every step of the way, giving us the strength, giving us the wisdom, giving us the peace, giving us the grace, giving us what we need to get through that moment. God, may we see you moving, and may that give us confidence to move forward and face those giants. God, we thank you for who we are and who we are in you. In your name, amen. Amen.